What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. Show and go for Tuesday, February 21st. Jack McCullen, Taylor Davis, the man. I saw a report from Joel Sherman that I want to get to right away, but we Good. are going to talk about the best batteries in Major League history. We've had a couple pitchers on. It's obvious that you've got this innate connection with pitchers as a catcher, and I can't wait to talk about those all-time tandems with you, especially now that the yachty Wayno tandem is in the rear view, the winningest tandem ever, the most often seen tandem ever. But this report from Joel Sherman, apparently the Yankees want to move Judge to left to have Giancarlo play right. What say you to that? Um, Was Giancarlo going to be in the outfield? Like, is he going to be in the outfield no matter what? I thought he was going to DH, and I thought they were going to That's why I'm asking. Like a Hicks or an Oswaldo Cabrera in left, and you've got Baker in center. But why are you putting – like, why are you forcing Judge, who has never played a major league game in left field, to play left after he was Roger freaking Maris – to have Stanton play right. I don't I don't mind it for one reason, right's a short porch. So so like here's what I'll say about that too, right? Go look at go look at the Cubs teams. Go look at um Jason Hayward, Albert Almora, Dexter Fowler and look who played left on those teams. Yeah. Until Ian Happ it had been the worst defender. No offense to Kyle Schwarber, but he was not as good of a defender as Albert Almora or Jason Hayward. Yeah. And you did that because it was a smaller part of the field. So but if you ask any outfielder, which is like this is an interesting point, is that like if you ask any outfielder, it being a short porch almost makes it harder. It yeah. almost makes it harder to play. Now, Stanton does have a decent arm, right? Like, or it yeah. did so he's got a good arm. So here's what I'll say: if I'm the Yankees, I'm gonna put him in right and probably have him stand next to the next to the fence, and and anything that like nothing's going over my head, and yeah. I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna or. Or the opposite. So, like, I've always had this argument with with coaches and stuff. Like, let's pick one or the other. I'm either going to give up all singles or I'm going to give up no doubles. Or I'm going to give up all doubles, right? Like, if it's over my head. So, like, I had a Gary Green, uh, one of the coaches in Indy last year, um, historical infield coach, player. Speaking of the Yankees, I, I think I told you this. He was Derek Jeter's player comp coming up. Like, he was the guy that they comped defensively Derek Jeter as. Like, scouts comp defensively? Yes. Scouts comped Jeter as Gary Green defensively. Well, now that we have advanced analytics working in our uh, in our favor, apparently that's an insult to Gary Green. That's a, that's a super insult now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but one of the things he talked about was like, look, man, if we give up a hit, if a, if, if a guy barrels a ball up, that ball deserves to be a hit. We have to make the outs on the good pitches that don't get hit hard, which makes so much sense to me. Like, he would always talk about, hey, I'm going to move a guy in just a hair with two strikes because if this guy gives up a line drive, so be it. But yeah. I cannot give up the blooper. I cannot give up the the doink hit. So, like, it's just an interesting aspect to me where I, I don't mind that. I'm with you. You know, I think it's like why change the guy you just paid $400 million, $360 right. million to? But – if you're thinking it's going to make your team better defensively overall, I don't mind it. And what you'll do probably, you know, I said this about Chicago when they did this with Hayward. Like I really think putting Jason Hayward in right allowed you to shift everybody towards left. 
So now yeah. we'll take Bader, shift him towards right. We'll take Judge, shift him towards right. Giancarlo has to cover less ground, and he's not going to be a DH, but maybe his legs will stay under him more than they would have been left. Yeah, so I, I, a saying that I want to run by you here because I hear it way too much, and you know, there's no position that you can truly hide. But the saying hide a guy in a corner really kind of grinds my gears because there's so much space for everybody to maneuver. And even if you do this and Stanton is covering less ground with the short porch and right, nobody hides in a major league game. Nobody hides in the outfield. So I guess when I say, oh, we can hide him in a corner, what does that mean to you? Somebody that understands that every position presents its own unique challenges. I just think it means that your your premier defenders are up the middle. And I think that's always been the case, um, you know, with obvious outliers. Nolan Arenado, the couple years of Matt Chapman, some guys like that. But I think the reality is that your your most athletic, your best defenders are almost always at short second and center, really short and center, right? Yeah. Um, but like we'll have we'll, we'll, now you got me thinking like now we need to get an outfielder on here, but we'll get an outfielder on here. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you they tell you that playing center field is easier than playing one of the corners yeah. because in center you just run to the ball. Like you got to cover more ground. You got to be more athletic, but you just go to the ball. You're playing in one of the corners. You've got to worry about multiple walls. And yeah. and that's, that, that doesn't make it easier. You can't, I, I totally agree with you. You can't hide a guy out there, but what I will say, I've had this argument a lot too, is that you're going to get less opportunities. So less opportunities equals less chances to to make mistakes, which equals a greater ability for you to be in the field. Yes. So I am much more, you know, I think outfielders always get really upset when people say stuff like that. They're like, oh yeah, let's just take the bad first baseman and put him in the outfield. We can just put him in the outfield. I don't think the answer is that he's going to be a good outfielder. I think the no. answer is he's going to hurt us less in right or left than he's going to hurt us at first. Yeah, and only if you are exceptionally bad, and I love this player. I love him as a hitter. I think he, if he can truly focus on hitting, and I think he will in 2023, can be one of the breakout stars in Major League Baseball. Andrew Vaughn, like unless you are exceptionally terrible in a corner outfield position, you really don't feel it that much. But on a game-by-game -game basis, like there were points where the White Sox felt Andrew Vaughn's inability to play a corner. I'm sure you saw it with Schwarber at the beginning of Schwarber's defensive career I saw it a little bit with Eloy Jimenez in recent years as well you know you take those guys that are just not good outfield defenders and put them in the outfield that's when you feel it but a guy like Stanton who does have a really strong arm who probably can get to many balls because he's a freak athlete you probably won't feel it as much as like an Andrew Vaughn or an Eloy or a Schwarber at the beginning and he's done it like you know he did it in Miami for so long and and you know I've talked to a bunch of people that that have worked with Giancarlo in the past and said that he's a, a very, very talented worker and he's a very hard worker. So like I, I look for him to, you know, he's on a very good team. Nobody on that team is going to let him not work out there. Right. So I see that the Andrew Vaughn thing. I actually, I, I love that you brought him up because I actually really, I'm a, I'm as big of a Jose Abreu fan as you're going to find, but yeah. I loved the fact the White Sox did that just to give him a chance. I thought that was a great opportunity Put him at first, and honestly, it's one of those things to me where, like, if he doesn't, if he doesn't succeed at first this year, I kind of wonder if you move him. I kind of think, like, you know, if he has a similar offensive year and his in his defensive metrics are that bad, I wonder if you move him because you have so many good bats that you're going to have Eloy that can DH. You're going to have guys that you can mix in here and there. Like, maybe yeah. we move Andrew, but yeah.
I, I find that conversation really interesting. And, and the two guys, it was on a previous just baseball show that we talked about. We did like a mailbag episode and somebody asked most improved. And, and the two guys that you really jumped to mind first were Vaughn and Ryan Mountcastle. And almost the same thing, right? Mountcastle's been moving around into the corners. He can play first. But if he could solely focus on offense, if he could solely focus on the bat, the bat's so stupidly good. I just want to see it. The the bat is uh the bat is extremely talented man good kid, uh really athletic hitter not a super athletic kid but the hands move really well the body moves extremely well at the plate and I agree with you I kind of wish that they would have moved Mancini off of first earlier and just let Mancini DH the whole time right or let Mountcastle DH the whole time he had no business being in the outfield yeah. And you're right. Like he's one of those guys that like, he's an outlier. There are outliers that are just, they're going to hurt you more in the outfield than they're going to gain you. And here's what I'll also say about that though, is, is I think that even when looking at an Andrew Vaughn, I, I know his numbers were, were horrible, but like if he does those numbers and they're horrible, but he doesn't do them in situations where he loses you games. They probably right. won't do this. Same thing with Ryan Mountcastle. If he's in the outfield and they're not losing games because of this, he probably stays out there. The, you know, it, it was bad, a hint of bad luck probably. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I with you. The only thing I'll give you about Mountcastle, I think he's a great hitter. Power's obviously there. Right. It scares me that the power went down so much when the fences moved back. And it, it just because he's going to play half his games there. Right. How much stock do you place in that? Like, obviously, as a right-handed bat, you're thinking, go to the pull side. Like, that's 10 feet you got to cover here, and 10 feet is a lot. I, I I wouldn't have put much stock in it if the numbers didn't show us otherwise. Yeah. You saw a guy in Cedric Mullins that went 30-30, and he turned in a season with significantly less power last year. So those are two guys that that showed you you know, that that this wall means something, but really Mountcastle. Cedric was a guy that I don't think anybody expected to go 30-30. Right. But Mountcastle, you did. And the fact that he dropped off that much, and it's not like, you know, sometimes you say that, uh, we've said that before on this show, I can't remember who it was, but about somebody playing in a new park. Oh, it was uh, Matt Olson. We talked about Olson. Matt Olson and how he hit so many doubles in Atlanta, but that was him playing in a new park. And I do think that plays a role. Ryan Mountcastle wasn't playing in a new park. He just right. hit less homers. And so that scares me a little bit. Probably felt like a new ballpark, to be honest. I mean, had to. It had to feel like, you you know, there's certain balls you get and you're like, man, I got that ball. And then you look out and it's just caught. And a, and a big league ball player, like a major league hitter and a major league power bat like that, if they truly feel like they got all of it, that's got to leave the ballpark. Like almost you got, all. If you get it, you got to get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's brutal. I mean, we are a week in, I think pitchers and catchers reported uh, at the, with the middle of last week. Right. And a lot of the players followed suit. I've started to see some live ABs. I've started to see some pitching prospects and some pitchers throwing the hitters and hitting prospects on Twitter. Uh, baseball feels back, man. Like a couple of takeaways that I, I had from just the videos that I've been watching over the last couple of days. You, you brought up Hayward. Do you see Hayward's bomb against Tony Gonsolin? I was just about to say, dude. That, that had to feel so You know how much I love Jason Hayward, but like, man, that was awesome. Dude, like that had to feel, that had to almost be like a cathartic experience for Jason Hayward, right? Like this massive weight lifted off his shoulders taking an all-star deep before games start, man. I mean, 
Do you with think- with one of your with with one of your good really good buddies like him and Freddie Freeman are extremely good buddies, right. and this is an interesting deal because uh you know no offense to Jason but the Braves had to pick they picked Freddie and they picked right and um that's I'm sure that that like that's got to be a weird thing but man um seeing those two back together is really cool I, I'm 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 excited to see that and yeah no doubt like that dude. That dude with some confidence is scary. Yeah. Do you think he can tap back in to what he wants? Well, obviously not the level of what he was in Atlanta. Um, but do you think that he can tap into more than what we've seen over the last three, four years in Chicago? No doubt. I, I think he's got more in the tank. The, my bigger question is just, I, you know, even go to Atlanta. I don't think the like the peak Jason Hayward wasn't Atlanta. The peak Jason Hayward was St. Louis in in uh, 2015. Yeah, true. And, and it was it was it was one really good up. Op- so don't get me wrong. Jason Hayward was a like a 19 year old free like we'll call him a freak phenom. Um, he was three that, run that, homer in his first major league at bat against the Cubs. Yeah. And and he and he put together really really quality years right away, which is incredibly difficult to do. And he was a super young free agent, so like those things put together, and he looks like a Greek god. So like though all those things put together equal giant contract. I I just think that like if you value if you were a if you were a fan and you went and looked and you were like oh I think this guy is going to be a thirty home run you were wrong he's not he's not a thirty home run guy that's not who he is he's an elite defender. Had a little bit of speed early in his career. I think he's just he's he's so big, and he's a little older now. He's not going to run as much. I still think he can play a really good outfield, and I think that there's some juice there. You know, I, I think he. I think here's what I'll say. I think he's a better hitter than he was in Chicago. Like we yeah. didn't see the best Jason Hayward, and like I think a little bit of that is a testament to we talked before about how hard it is to play in some of these big markets. I don't think it's necessarily super hard to play in Chicago. Like fans are unbelievable. Those are some of the best fans I've ever seen. Right. But there's a lot of fans. It's still really pressure packed. It's still really difficult to do. You're not going to go to a bar or take your family to dinner and not get recognized in Chicago, especially on the north side of Chicago. Uh, no doubt. So like that's going to be that's going to be a lot. And, and you know, for I, there were so many negative things going around about him during that time that I'm sure it was difficult. I think he can tap in, you know, and like if we're talking about what he did in Atlanta, like I said, yeah, I think that's absolutely there. Like, I think no doubt you could see a guy like he could put up Cody Bellinger numbers yeah. and and so and he's going to do it for a eighth of the price. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think you could do that. And he's going to he's going to be an unbelievable mentor for that clubhouse, along with Freddie Freeman, along with Mookie Betts. There's just so many good guys in that clubhouse that that can help that team win and um you know, the Dodgers tend to do it right, man. They tend to go get the right people. So I'll be interested, but I, I think he's got a decent shot of making that team. Yeah, I, I totally think so. I think he's going to be on that opening day roster if push comes to shove right now, especially Miguel Vargas just went down with a hairline fracture, apparently. Mm-hmm. And while Vargas is like an infield type yeah. guy, um, Vargas is a utility guy, and that's another spot for a hitter that opens up. Jason Hayward uh, may be the guy there. One more question on Hayward, then one more thing from spring training I want to hit on. And then we can get to the batteries. What's Jason Hayward the guy like? Because you were obviously org mates with him. Um, I mean, he is as nice and as he's he's an outgoing guy, but he's as nice as you could possibly get, man. He treated me like a I don't want to say he treated me like a veteran from day one, but he didn't treat me like a rookie. He didn't treat me like somebody he didn't know. Um, he treated me like a person. And I think that's all you can ask. You know, you go to a clubhouse, you don't want to be treated any different 
you just want to be treated like a person. And, and the people that do that tend to stick out a little bit. You know, the guy that I always point to as one of my favorite teammates of all time is now the first base coach with the Miami Marlins and John Jay. And he was a guy that when I first got to the big leagues treated me the exact same as he treated John Lester, the exact same as he treated Chris Bryant. And because of that, I will forever remember that. And I will forever be grateful for that. Jason Hayward's the same way. You know, I, I think, and, and you know, you see these guys and their contracts and what they do, and you don't expect that. You expect them to be these, these you celebrities. Expect, you're right. You almost expect them to be an asshole because they're $200 million players. And it's it's beautiful when they're not. And so many of these guys aren't. That's the yeah. thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand. And I personally didn't understand until I got into college athletics. I noticed it college basketball, men's college basketball, being at Syracuse for four years, the best players at Syracuse were always the nicest ones. And then it was the middling guys that were really hard to deal with. Almost same thing in professional baseball, right? Like the, the can't miss prospects are usually really nice guys. And it's the ones that may be having an identity issue that are, that are a bit more abrasive and like harder to crack into. So I love hearing that when a guy like a big money guy that has made it has secured that generational wealth is just a good dude. And, and he was a guy that, you know, and this is what I was about to say too, is that I think a lot of times they're, you know, if they're not great guys, sometimes you'll see that as somebody who never got told no as a child yeah. and, 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 and had it all given to him growing up. Now, I don't know Jason Hayward's, uh, I don't know his, like his childhood story, but I'll tell you that that guy probably looked better than everybody else in his, in his team from the time that he was 10 years old. Right. So like he has probably had a lot of of stuff right well we know since he got into pro ball how much was riding on him but coming up how much has been riding on him and, and how much people have been telling him how good he is so like for you to still be that that humble and and, and have that humility is great i want to bring up an at bat did you see a bat of um uh lindor and edwin diaz oh i didn't i okay you bring that it? one up and then i've got another oh man so they showed an at bat of, of uh lindor and edwin diaz who you know, we kind of talked about like the cool aspect of the Puerto Ricans playing together. We wanted Lindor and Correa for that reason. Well, we get Edwin Diaz and we get Francisco Lindor. And man, those two like Edwin Diaz laughing after throwing a pitch. And I remember, uh, last, I think it was last year, last spring, people showing the Jacob deGrom versus Lindor at bat where like deGrom just threw three fastballs down and away and just blew it by one of the best hitters in baseball. Yeah. The Lindor Edwin Diaz at bat today was like fastball swing and miss, fastball down and and I think uh, I think Nito was catching and he caught it really well and it, you hear Lindor go no down down down, Edwin Diaz goes no Poppy that's right down the middle. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. Those those types of at bats right those those inner squad type things those have to be so much fun for these guys. Have you, I mean, obviously you've caught against guys that, you know, you, you've previously been teammates with, right? Like you've had them in the batter's box, but have you, have you spoken to pitchers that have like faced a good friend of theirs? How weird is that in game? Obviously in the inner squad, you can smile and do that back and forth, but in game, I'm I'm sure you got to dial it in a bit more. Yeah, I think, I think it's really odd I, off the top of my head. I can't think, I can't think of one. I'm sure I could if I if I had a minute. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but like, yeah. you know, the there's one story I'll give you, and this isn't a friend. This is just an interesting spring training story. But I remember John Lester coming down and throwing a B game against 
us. We were a bunch of like double A, triple A guys. Right. And he was facing a lefty and this lefty fouled off like eight pitches. <laughs> and after like the sixth or seventh one, he just started cussing, like hit the ball, man. Like, what are we doing? You know, and he is just throwing his best pitches. And like, it was just funny that like, you know, that just goes to show you how talented everybody is at that level. You're in major league camp, you know, and for the kids, like for the guys that are listening to this that are in camp, you can make a team. You're good enough. If you're in camp, you're good enough playing the big leagues. And like, there's so many people that doubt that because of what they're told or what they think. No, man, the talent level is there. Like so many people are talented enough to play there. It's so much about opportunity, the right opportunity in the right time. hundred percent. The, um, we were just talking to Hayward who was, quote unquote, a golden ticket guy, right? Like he was, you know, quick trip up to the bigs. Another guy that seems like, and this is baseball's a meritocracy. Don't get it twisted. It does always feel like a meritocracy. If you hit, if you throw, like if you are really successful, you're going to get a chance to move up. Now we've talked about that with you. You don't know the requirements for getting to the show, but if you're a 950 OPS guy in double, you're going to get a chance to triple. That's just how that works. And a guy that has earned his way level by level and has turned himself into a rocket ship is Yuri Perez, one of the top pitching prospects in the game, Miami Marlins. I watched two live at-bats, Luis Arise against Johnny Cueto, Luis Arise against Yuri Perez. Arise stays within himself so well, right? Like it's a picture-perfect swing. He laces a double down the right field line against Cueto. I watched a three-pitch sequence against Yuri Perez. It was fouling a fastball back to the screen, totally off balance, just getting a piece of a slider, totally off balance, and then just popping up a, a fastball to like third base on the third pitch. That guy having Luis Arise on his heels when he hasn't even thrown a pitch in AAA is wild to me. I like is the guy he, that won the batting title last year. Right. Like he's got the American League batting champ on his heels for three pitches and lunging at the third one, just getting a piece and looping it to third base. I mean, you've seen Grayson Rodriguez. We've talked about Andrew Painter. We're talking about Yuri Perez now. These pitching wonderkins, like, are they more talented than they've ever been? I think there's more of them. I think that's the difference. You know, I think you look back, you've always had your Mark Priors, right? You've always had that guy. Now there's 15 systems that have that guy. You know, I mean, like go to Cleveland and Daniel Espino, like he just got hurt today. That's why I'm bringing up this name. But like, there's another guy. He's going to be a massive arm for them. They've got another in Gavin Williams. Right. Like there's so many of these guys that, have just these grades that are crazy. I actually saw a video of of Sandy and Yuri throwing a bullpen, and I didn't know which one was which from the like, you, dude. That dude is a monster. But yeah, I mean, I don't know that they're more talented. I just so here's what I'll tell you. I remember in 2011, I read this stat and it blew my mind. And now I'm sure the stat is way higher. There were a hundred draft eligible players, so high school junior, high school seniors. Uh, or 21-year-old college players, we'll just call them that, right, yeah. um, that threw over 95. There were 100 in 2011, which at the time blew my mind. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh, there's that many people that are this age that do that? I am sure now that number is through the roof. Yeah, Like, it's got to be three times, four times. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's guys, there's guys, you know, in D3 that are throwing 95 now. You know, like – 
and there have always been Matt, um, Carter Caps. Carter Caps was yeah. a guy that was a D three guy. He was the one that would hard. jump forward, right? The cheater, the cheater. Yeah, it's cheating. Okay, yeah, like jumping forward. It was that was a- the. I you know what that was it. Okay, he might have been my second least favorite at bat, and only for one reason. And I'm gonna I'm gonna freaking send this to this guy. The name Tim Dillard. Does that name ring a bell to you? Was he in Nashville? He was in that. He was a Brewers guy, a historic Brewers guy. He was a Brewers guy for like, I'm not sure, like like 15 years maybe. He spent a lot of years in Nashville, right? Like yes, I think so he's he a lived, Nashville so, okay. legend. So he spent a lot of years with the Brewers, and then the Brewers moved to Nashville, and then the Brewers left Nashville, and um, Texas went to Nashville, and he was – or maybe Texas went first, whatever. He lives in Nashville. So we got a job with that team, had a really good year. Anyway – he was like he's hilarious on social media. He was a uh, the Brewers brought him on in September one year to do some of their um like commentating and stuff. Like he was part of their social media team and I faced that guy for the first time in 2014 and I faced him for the last time in 2019. I never got a hit off of that guy in 6 years or 5 years. Not one time did I get a hit off that guy. Now He's never been the best pitcher in the league. Like he's a sidewinder and he like, it's just done throw that hard. But I just know, I just say he's me and one other guy. And his name's John Andrioli. He's probably going to hate yeah. me for saying this, but John, me and John up until 2019, me and John had never got hits off of this guy. Uh, like 2018, I think it was, or 2017, John, um, they were getting, John was on deck and Dillard was not pitching. Dillard was in the bullpen. Rick Sweet, who's an unbelievable manager, actually the fifth winningest head coach of all time in the minor leagues, yeah, got Dillard up just to scare John. The inning ended, and they sat Dillard down, and they didn't bring him back up. And John hit, dude, because he knew, because he knew, he knew that he owned me and him. But anyway, Carter Caps, one of the worst at bats of all time because of the freaking jump throw nonsense. That's hilarious. What did Tim Dillard do that like screwed you up so bad? Or was it just a bad luck thing? I I mean, he threw from the side, which I didn't love, but yeah, I think it was just like a I'm dude, I'm sure after year three, it was just like, yeah, I got no shot. <laughs> right. It's just a confidence thing. It's like, ah, oh, I'm screwed. I went six years. I went six years without getting hit off this guy. How many bats do you think you ran through? Like 30? Uh yeah, 20 or 30. Dude. He was a reliever for the most part, starter at the end. So, like, yeah, I mean, I I it was because I'll tell you, he sweet knew it. He pitched every time I hit every time my part of the lineup come in was when he was coming in the game. I guarantee you. That's that's a work. that's a long time student of the game, Rick Sweet. If he, if he's game planning that, excellent. Um, all right, I want to talk batteries right yeah, now. Yeah, let's do it. Pitchers you and catch, catchers. Yeah, you you not double A, triple A. Yeah, uh, pitchers and catchers batteries. You texted me over the weekend and said, I want to talk about top five batteries. And right before we hit record, you brought up a good point. It's like, you know, we'll see Lefty Grove and his catcher on here. And they're, you know, up there with war. There are also certain things like, hey, we could be talking about, you know, the best battery in baseball right now, like Real Muto and Wheeler, but they've only been together for like three years. So there's no point in doing that. So I, I think, were you inspired by Wayno and Yachty? and this being the end of the Wayno and Yachty run? I mean, I was inspired by pitchers and catchers, but yes, I think that without question, 
I don't think there. I yes. So to answer your like to kind of answer the you didn't have a question, but like your first statement, I don't think there's one in baseball right now. I don't think there's even really a top ten. I wouldn't put anybody in baseball right now. No, as a top ten. I do think Yadi and and Wayno and maybe how we should do this is like you bring up one, we'll talk about where they should go, um, and then I'll bring up one and we talk about where they should go. But like I do think that we can start with Wainwright and with Wainwright and Yadi. Like I think they're a top five. I don't know if they're number one. And and here's here's where I'd love to hear your input and where you're looking at this, because I want to tell you how I'm looking at this. I think historically there's been more um I don't know how to say this. There's been more talented pitchers than there have been catchers. So I feel like the difficult part is like let's go. I was looking at it like, okay, I'm gonna find the best catcher and see if he caught a really good pitcher. Yeah. Um and, and I think that's how I looked at this, and I wondered if you did the same thing. Pretty much. Yeah. Like I need some pedigree catching wise. And, yeah. you know, one that jumps out to me, especially after he just passed a couple of days ago, Tim McCarver caught Steve Carlton for six or seven years. So, you know, we can talk about that. I think Yachty and Wayno are solidly number two. And obviously they're the most tenured. Uh, they're the winningest. But the one that jumps out to me, just because of the stories I've heard about both these guys, Yogi Berra and Whitey Ford is number one for me on narrative alone because they won all the freaking time. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think you can go wrong there. I mean, those, those teams in those cities, I I, I don't now let me throw this one out there. They didn't get to play together a ton. So like it's different than Yachty and Wainwright, but one that I want to throw out there is, is Nolan and Pudge. Yeah. Ryan threw to Ivan Rodriguez and I consider Ivan Rodriguez to be one of the greatest of all time. I, I don't know where I lie with Nolan, but I'll tell you this. He's one of the greatest strikeout pitchers of all time. And he's a historical pitcher for our for our game. Whether you want to look at him and say, well, he was overrated, yada, yada, yada. Look, man, that dude was extremely dominant when it came to striking you out. And he was terrifying. You ask guys that played in that era, and, like, he was the scariest guy in the history of the world to face. So – that's a guy for me that I'd throw out there, probably more of the names than the war. But, um, yeah, you can't go wrong with with two of the, the greatest to ever do it at both positions in Whitey and, and Yogi. Yeah, 100%. I, I do like that Nolan Ryan, Yvonne Rodriguez one. Do you know how many years they crossed over? That's the thing. Like, Let tenure me see. was tough for me. Let me see. I, I did see this. Uh, tenure is going to be tough, which is why – Wait now, I've got two that are gonna come up here in a second, and I'm sure at least one of them. Um, let's see. He so uh he threw 44 starts, so like not very much. Okay. Um, but you know, I just I think Pudge, man, this like the story of Pudge, like getting married on his double A field and then making his major league debut that day is pretty cool. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um another one bit more recent that I want to throw out here. Jorge Posada and Mariano. Okay. And who? Mariano Rivera. Okay. So, but is it, is it, it what about Jorge Posada and Roger Clemens? That's the thing. So are, are we going to do Jorge Posada, Posada, Andy Pettit? Right. So Posada is a guy that just screams like battery mate, right? He's, he screams like one of the best, you know, catcher, catcher for a pitcher tandem of all time. I don't know how to describe that. I guess defensive catcher like Jorge Posada feels like a great defensive catcher, a great team leader. My thought about Rivera 
was they crossed over for so long. And yeah. Clemens, you can think of him as a Red Sox. You can think of him as an Astro. Andy Pettit, I don't think, has the narrative around him that Mariano Rivera does, especially after the PEDs. The thing about Mariano Rivera and Jorge Posada, that just felt like game over for so long in the ninth inning. So that's why I went with that tandem. That's fair. I mean, and, and I I honestly – so the names that I saw when I was looking it up was was Jorge and, and Andy Pettit. I immediately said I'm I'm off that he wasn't the best starter that he caught. I'm going Roger Clemens. Um, but now that you say Mariano, I mean you don't want to put a reliever there, but like it's the greatest reliever of all time. And I in my mind, it's the best pitch of all time. I don't think that we're going to see a singular pitch that is as good as that pitch. And like I think that'll be a great episode for us at some point, is like let's put together the best pitcher, like using their stuff. Yeah, but like so. Yeah, but like I think that I, I'm not sure you could make a better argument that there's a better pitch in the history of the game. The only one I'll give you, and this is like going back so long, but if you go read about Walter Johnson's fastball, yeah, and and, and how dominant that was, and the fact that he was doing it in an era where you only threw fastballs, but that almost makes it more impressive for Mariano that he's throwing basically only a cutter in an era where you're throwing eight pitches. And you knew what was coming. There was no question. You were getting the cutter. It was going to, if you're a lefty, it was going to be in. If it was a righty, it was going to be away. And they couldn't hit it for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, it's hard for me not to say that that, it's got to be at least number three. And that, I, man, that's a great one. I, I hadn't even thought about that. The only thing I'll give you there, though, is like, Jorge was not a great defensive catcher, I don't believe. Really? Okay. If you go look at the numbers, I believe there was some stuff. I actually believe there was some stuff that would have told you that if they would have played Benji Molina more statistically, they think they would have won more games. Huh. Interesting. Uh, now, which is like an s- incredibly interesting thing to talk about because I think Jorge Posada, is, is, if he's not, he should be a Hall of Famer. And I don't think he is. And he right. had like 280 with 20 every year, 280 with 16 every year. Like, what else do you want with rings? Um, he was. Here's what I'll say. He was the perfect complement for that team. He was exactly what that team needed. Yeah. So Jorge Posada per 162 was a 273 hitter, 24 homers, 34 doubles, 94 driven in. Yeah. So he was a, he was an offensive guy, but like, and I don't know that you can even find defensive stuff from that long, can you? Uh, in terms of defensive WAR, he was a career 2.6 guy. So he was like an average defensive catcher. Yeah. Yeah. So like. You you did it with the bat, um, and he was a leader. He was a leader on that team. So like you know he was he was one of the he was one of the better. I'll, I'll give you that without question. Um, I think he's got to be up there. So if we're going those, th- I mean, and like you said though, like honestly, Jorge Posada could be freaking two of those to me. Like I really think that um, that like are we gonna put Jason Veritek and Tim Wakefield on this list? <laughs> I don't think we do we, can. do. we give here's a question: Do we give Jason Veritek, Pedro Martinez a shot on this list? Yeah, I think we do, because I think that peak Pedro Martinez is is as good of a peak as anybody in the history of the game. Okay, real quick, uh, top five pitchers of all time. Once again, I, I'm a I'm an odd bird because I throw Walter Johnson in there. I think Walter Johnson's because he threw he he did that. I I know it's people are gonna listen to it and be like what. But if we're go- are we going like one year or like all? I'm going like all time. I'm going so 
my answer, Nolan Ryan's absolutely top five. I know the, the counter argument. Oh, he, you know, yes, most strikeouts of all time, but also most walks of all time, whatever he threw for so long. He's the all-time strikeout King seven, no hitters. Crazy. Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, Sandy Koufax round out my five. Okay. I, I like Sandy. Um, I, I would like to give you, so like, you know, I think the question just becomes like, how far back do we like to take this? Because the reality is like, and my answer is not that far back. So like, I know because do we look like, do we look at Cy Young? I mean, nobody's ever going to have 500 wins. Like that's a, that's a joke. Like that's crazy. But nobody's going to get the opportunity to even sniff that because the game has changed. Now we'll give you one guy that I, I, you didn't list that I think, kind of gets forgotten every now and again, who had maybe one of the craziest years in the history of the game, including back then is Bob Gibson when he had, what yeah. was like 30, he had like 30 something complete games. Everybody's chasing Bob Gibson when it comes to that single season. I'll pull up that single season right now. Yeah. Like, um, okay. But yeah, let's go. Like I'm going to give you peak Pedro, like Pedro Martinez is in my top five. Bob Gibson, yeah, 34 starts, 28 complete games, 13 complete game shutouts, 300 innings, a 1-1-2 ERA. Yeah, like, he he's in my top five. He's he's in my top five, if for no other reason than that year. Honestly, like, I, I'll tell you this. I'm going to look at this more like like peak um, than I am durability, I guess, because I think, I think Pedro deserves to be in there. I think Pedro, what he did for those – you know, you could say longer than three, but really what he did for those three years was absolutely crazy. I'm going to put Bob Gibson in there. I, I I think Randy is is the scariest guy in the history of the game to face. Yes. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Mariano Rivera in there. Like Mar- he has to be one of the top five pitchers of all time. More people have walked on the moon than have scored on Mariano Rivera in the playoffs. Like, come on, he's he's a top five pitcher of all time. Yeah. Um, let me throw this name out there. Let me hear. This is what do you think? Like, this was the first guy that I heard the argument when talking about Hall of Fame about longevity and peak, and that was Johan Santana. Johan Santana's peak is just about as good as anybody's. Yep. That changeup. We talk about building an arsenal. I'm taking Johan Santana's changeup. So Santana, you're referring to this peak here when he was. Cy Young winner, third in Cy Young voting, Cy Young winner, fifth in Cy Young voting. 261, 287, 277. I mean, he was a strikeout king three years in a row. He was a FIP king. He was a whip king. He was a hits per nine king three years in a row. He was a K's per nine king three years in a row. He was a 20-game winner, 19-game winner. Yeah, I mean, this, this peak is good. It's not Randy Johnson peak. It's not Pedro Martinez peak. It's not as long as Randy Johnson's peak, but I would argue that, and he didn't strike as many guys out as Randy Johnson. The other guy that I'll give you, like, I think we may have a guy pitching right now that's going to go down as a top five guy in all time. And I think Justin Verlander's got a chance to be a top five pitcher of all time. I, I do. I think the combination of of durability, longevity, and just overall numbers is going to lead to that. Okay, so same thing, his teammate. Like, what we love about Verlander is he has been so good for so long, and yep. there really hasn't been much of a separation there. 
I think three years ago, we're not talking about Max Scherzer in the same light that we're talking about Max Scherzer now. And Scherzer is not a top five pitcher of all time. I'll take Verlander over Scherzer, but Scherzer, I do think when he does hang it up, is going to be in that top 10 conversation, no? He had just a slower start. Like, if you go look at the, the Detroit stuff, he was a and the good Arizona pitcher. stuff. Yeah. He was a good, he was a good pitcher in Detroit, but he wasn't great. The end of his tenure, he was really good. Verlander has been elite pretty much since day one, I believe. I could be wrong, but like he's as he's been as good as as anybody, obviously, as anybody in baseball last however long he's been in. But um yeah, I'll give you Randy. I almost just hate to go like all these guys that are that are this young. Like I I I I just that's the only thing that I don't like is like, man, you're not wrong. Like I don't know that anybody could tell you that there's a scarier scarier at bat than Randy Johnson. Like nobody has been scarier to face in the box than that guy. Okay, so I'll give you Randy. So let's go Randy, Bob Gibson, Mariano, Pedro Martinez. I mean, I, I want to oh, throw right. Nolan in there just because it was so same thing. It was as scary as it comes, but like, I feel like I got to go. I feel like I got to find somebody with the, with the numbers to back it up. Like that's the, my only thing I think I don't even mind the walks as much as I mind the, he gave up runs. Like, are you, are you saying no to Clemens for the PED thing? No. It, it, so here's a, like, was who was better, Clemens or Randy Johnson? I think Clemens. That's so, like, if that's the case, then I'm going to go Clemens. I like Pedro over Randy because I take the peak. Like I said, I believe that the peak, the Pedro's peak was as good as anybody's. So I'm going to take peak Pedro. I'm going to take Clemens. Now I need one more. I don't know. I don't know who that one more is for me. Uh, maybe it's Randy. Yeah. And I don't, like, this is in no, this is in no specific order either. This is obviously, this is in no, uh, so Clemens, remember these numbers, 354 wins, a 3-1-2 ERA, 4,900 innings, 4,700 punch-outs. Okay. Now let me pull up Randy Johnson. And I got one more after this, too, that I think we both forgot. Okay. Um, and Verlander, I can tell you that he was good from the jump. He was a rookie of the year. Um, but he's had some like weird dud years. He had a four eight ERA in two thousand eight across a full season. He had a four five and was fifteen. And I don't. And, and after after I told you that, I don't think he's the best pitcher pitching right now. Um, Kershaw. I think Clayton Kershaw is. Yeah, and I think Clayton Kershaw is in my top five. Wow. Okay. So Clemens three one ERA. Randy Johnson a three two ERA. Uh, Randy, 4,100 innings, Clemens, 4,900 innings, Clemens, 4,600 strikeouts, Randy, 4,800 strikeouts, Randy, 300 wins, Clemens, 350 wins. So they're pretty much equal. One strikes out more, one wins more. I'll probably take the guy that wins more. Um, I'm probably going to take Randy or take, uh, what about, what about the guy that didn't juice? It did. Like no, like I think Barry Bonds is the greatest player ever to live. Yeah, me too. Whether he did it or not, and I I gotta say the same thing about Roger. Like no matter how I feel about how he did it, he did it. Like that's just the case. And like so much of that class, like I know this is the this is so cliche to say, but they you know if everybody was doing it, but like really 
a lot of people were doing it and and i you can't fault the guy for doing it i i really i I don't he got caught and that was the issue um now the reports are that he wasn't a great guy and that's why he got caught so like that probably didn't help his case but at the end of the day he was still one of the best ever to to step on the mound but yeah i think kershaw is going to round out my top five i think i think like he's never had a go look. He's never had a, I think he's had like one year with a three. Yeah. I'll tell you right now. Uh, I, I love that this was a little tangent that we went on and by a little, I mean a lot of tangent that we went on, uh, but it, it's such a fun conversation, man. Two, four, eight ERA Clayton Kershaw has uh, let's see at a four two his first year in the league. Yeah. He's 20 years old, but it was not a full year. Right. It was like a 2080 through 107 innings. Okay. He had a four two six. Okay. After that, he was a three oh three in twenty nineteen. Eleven years separated ERAs over three, and he was a three oh three ERA in one hundred and seventy eight innings. And then in twenty twenty one, in one hundred and twenty one innings, he was a three five five ERA. But I mean, dude, a hundred was, was such a bad year. Such a bad year, like brutal year for him. But in 2022, 126 innings, he had a 2-2-8 ERA. This guy's been untouchable forever, it feels like. And, and you forget about him. And you forget about him. And that's – I hate that. I hate that people forget about Clayton Kershaw because I do think we're watching – you know, this is an argument that I loved, and and we can uh, – you know, if, if you want to finish on this, we can finish on this because I think this was like a great argument. But we'll, we'll I specifically – We'll stick to our guns of putting together the battery, but you you say what you want to say. Okay, okay, okay. We we uh when when the Giants were doing their thing, so like one of the top ten that came up on my list was Mad Bum and Posey. and Buster Posey. Yeah, which right away we're going peak. Let's go peak Buster Posey, Tim Lincecum. Those two years of Lincecum put back up. That's got to be in consideration if we're talking peak, right? Like yeah. back-to-back Cy Youngs with, I believe, strikeout. Uh, he might have even led the league in strikeouts. Like those two years were freakish. Buster's one of the most accomplished players in the history of the game, especially for behind the plate. Um, how good was Linscombe for those two years? Linscombe was 2-6 ERA, then 2-5 ERA. But he was 265 punch outs, 261 in those back-to-back Cy Young seasons. He led the league in strikeouts three straight years. Yeah. And it goes back to your comp. You're talking about like uh talking about like good dudes. This guy, I faced this guy when he was rehabbing with Round Rock. So he signed, if people don't remember, he signed uh he went to like driveline one year, threw a bullpen, did well, got to spring training with Texas, got hurt. I faced him in Round Rock, and somebody on that team told me that every road trip that they took, Tim Lincecum flew every pitcher and catcher private wherever they went. Just because. Like, come on. You're you're in my book. You're a top five guy in my book, dude. Like, That's you're a stud. Yeah. Um, but so here was the argument, and and I, I hated it because Mad Bum, don't get me wrong, dude. And like Mad Madison, hopefully you listen to this podcast, but like you were one of the best, you put together one of the best postseason resumes of all time. What you did the one year will never be done ever again as far as like the thought of, of fans, right? Like you are living in fandom heaven for the rest of your life. But 
I would still take Clayton Kershaw over you every single day. And and I that was such a big argument then was Kershaw struggles in the playoffs. So do I take Madison Bumgarner over Clayton Kershaw if I'm going to pay a guy? And I just don't think it's close. I don't think it was close. Like Madison Bumgarner was a good pitcher also. Like if you yeah. go look at his regular season numbers, the regular season numbers were good. They were they were above average. He was a very good pitcher. Clayton Kershaw is one of the best ever. Right. Nobody's right. touched that. Yeah, he has like a four in the postseason. Who cares? You got to get there to pitch in the postseason. Right. You grab a Lester for the postseason, but like you also grab him because he was a mid two ZRA guy. At worst, he was a mid three ZRA guy. Like you don't grab Randy Arozarena is not getting on a hundred million dollar deal if he hits the open market right now. Randy Arozarena absolutely rakes in the postseason, but you know what? You have to get there. You make a perfect, perfect point. And we want, I do want to talk about clutch with you okay. at some point in the next couple of pods. Dave because, what? Yeah. Dave yeah Freeze. Freeze, that time Another guy. Time. And that's a great example of a guy that did it in the postseason and he got paid, but not sig- not your $100 million deal. He we got just, rewarded for it, but right. not, you know. We we just talked about um, this with Jeremy Pena on, on another show. And Pena, I think people are immediately viewing him as a top 10, top eight shortstop in the game when he's not. He had a 715 OPS his rookie year, but he was the ALCS MVP. He was the World Series MVP. I make the David Freeze um, comp to a guy that like balls out in the NCAA tournament and becomes a lottery pick. Like a Malachi Richardson for Syracuse in 2016. Like that was a late second round to lottery. Mitch McGarry was at Michigan. He did the same exact thing. Like everybody's got an example of that guy that balls out for a long time for like a five game stretch in the NCAA tournament. All of a sudden people think he's a legit NBA prospect. He's not. It's, it's a reason that I like that they give away the Heisman before the, before the, the college playoffs, like you shouldn't include what they do because like, don't get me wrong, you know, and we, we've been around a lot of really talented athletes and we've been around a lot of, of big moments. And like the guys that can do things in those big moments, take something else. It's a totally different, it's a totally different level without question, no doubt. Yeah. But it's not the same as doing it for 162. 100%. All right. Let's close the pod. Yeah, let's do it. Five batteries. So we've got Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra. We've got Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. We want to go with Mariano Rivera and Jorge Posada on there. I think you have to. Yeah, I think I think I. You know, if here's what I'll say: Are we in agreement that Mariano? Well, you didn't put him. So it's like, are you? Do you think Mariano's a top five pitcher? Um, I think he's on the outside of the top five looking in, but I think he's certainly in the six to ten conversation for sure. If you think he's that close, then I think you have to put him there because if he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time, he won championships, and we know that Jorge did what Jorge did. He's got it. He was the best pitcher that Jorge Posada caught. Yes. Yeah. That's how I view it. Like Clemens, probably the best pitcher talent wise and, and accumulation wise, but Rivera was unanimous hall of famer as a relief pitcher. Yeah. I can't beat it. Can't really beat it. So I, I do like Mariano and Jorge. uh, So those are three other two um, ones that jumped out to me. Doc Gooden and Gary Carter. Gary Carter, one of the best catchers of all time. And Doc Gooden at his peak was unbelievable. 
And then the other, I looked at Hall of Fame catcher Carlton Fisk, best pitcher that he caught for a long time, Louis Tion. Um Greatest, I, I, greatest windup ever? Yes, ever. I mean, everybody. But like, then going back, do we? But do we have to throw? Do we have to throw Veritek Pedro in that conversation? I think we do. And and let me tell you this: my one of my favorite fun facts, and you can start to. I'll just tell you the answer. I won't ask you what it is because we're talking about him. But Jason Veritek, the only player in the history of the game. I know it. Do you know it. I know it. Little League World Series, uh, College World Series, World Series Baseball Classic, and uh, Olympics, and something All else. I didn't. I I only thought it was Little League College World Series, but World Baseball no. Classic and Olympic gold is really cool. Yeah, it's it's a, he's the only guy ever, and he will be forever because there's no more Olympic baseball. He's the only guy ever to go. Yeah, Little League World Series. I, I thought there were six Little League World Series, College World Series, uh, World Series, Olympics. Maybe it's just World Baseball Classic. Yeah, that sounds right. So five, dude. Talk about a winner. I do like Pedro and Veritek in this. Um, I'm I'm quick to eliminate Louis Tiant and Carlton Fisk. Is that our five? Doc Gooden and Gary Carter, you agree there? Oh, well, hold on. Um, yeah, unless... Kershaw and Misty May Trainer's husband? Huh? Kershaw and Misty May Trainer's husband, Matt Trainer. Matt Trainer. I mean, honestly, like, I think there's a chance in 10 years we say... Kershaw and Will Smith, maybe. I th- I really think Will Smith is really good. I, he's really, really good. Um, but yeah, right now, no. Um, and you can't say Kershaw and Russell Martin. Nope. Could you say Randy and anybody? I don't think you could say Randy Johnson and anybody. Like, I don't think he threw to anybody like that. Not in Arizona, not in Seattle, not in Montreal. Verlander didn't throw to anybody like that. He threw, you know what? Here's an interesting like take. Verlander, Victor Martinez. Was Victor a DH for the most part? I'm not in up- Detroit. He 20- caught in Detroit. 2011, Victor Martinez was a DH. I'll I'll tell you. Let's see. He first got to Detroit in 2011. Oh, so he didn't catch. Let me go. Let me go to his standard fielding numbers. Um. Let's see. 2011, he caught 26 games. Okay. Yeah, he was done okay. being. He was done being. Okay. Okay. Well, that's out. That's out. But yeah, I mean, I think that he's he's probably got to be up there. But hold on, if I have the dates right, CC Sabathia and Victor Martinez. See, and like CC, incredibly underrated. Another guy with like, here's another one. We're opening up a whole world of stuff I here know. because now you reminded me of Cliff Lee, man. Like, I do. I know. Cliff Lee. How about the Indians had him and CC? Did Roy Halladay throw to anybody? Because I'm thinking Cliff Lee after he was in Cleveland, he went to Philly. Did we just say Carlos Ruiz and those staffs? Dude, Ruiz and Cole Hamels were together. Like when you look at all-time wins by a battery, Ruiz and Cole Hamels is up there. Look at who Ruiz Ruiz caught. Now, let me tell you this. I had a pitching coach that said Carlos was, was one of the greatest of all time. Just people, catcher, the whole thing. But like, dude, that guy caught. Cole Hamels, Brett Myers, uh, Cliff Lee, Roy Halladay, um, Roy Oswalt. Uh, there had to be a couple others in there. Like Joe Blanton, that was yeah. another really good. Like, gosh, dang man! Like, yeah. All right, but yeah. I think I think those are our five. I think Whitey Ford, Adam Wainwright, 
I don't know. See, now you got me second guess. I don't know if I can put Mariano above Roger. I can. Just because he's the best. I I mean, I think I can just because of like the whole thing, the whole, the theatrics, everything. Yeah. Like the narrative around Mariano Rivera and Jorge Posada with the Yankees is greater than Clemens and Posada with the Yankees. I'll give you that. All right. And then Bob Gibson, Gary Carter, and uh, Uh, Doc Gooden, Gary Carter. Doc Gooden, Gary Carter. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And then, and then uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think I'm, I'm good with that. Pedro and Veritek four or Gooden and Gary Carter four. Gooden and Gary Carter four. Okay. Two Hall of Famers. Like I love Veritek, but he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Doc Gooden, Gary Carter. All right, man. This was good. We kind of bounced all over the place, and I loved it. Yeah, that was sick. All right, we've got an interview, college baseball centric. Happy. Uh, belated opening weekend in college baseball but that's going to be our our conversation on friday i think you and i are both um fascinated by where college sports is right now we're both fascinated by the super team formation that is the lsu tigers right now and dylan cruz is probably number one overall it's insane dude that is appointment viewing every weekend for me and then uh skeins skeins was crazy my friday nights i'm done going out for the rest of the spring because you got skeins for lsu you got Dolander for Tennessee. You've got whoever the hell in the one and two for Florida. I mean, it is it is going to be good. Yeah, you know, college. one cool thing about like one cool thing about NIL, and I don't think it's crazy in baseball, but like there are going to be guys that get some money. But like, I do think that you're seeing a lot more guys now because there are. I feel like teams are going for these college guys, and what these college guys are noticing, or what high school kids are noticing, is that college guys are getting to the big leagues way faster. Yeah, and. Like you're seeing some unbelievable talent in college baseball because these guys are skipping being a second round pick. They're skipping being a first round pick to go to college. So yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you, man. Taylor, this was good. Every link you need in the show notes. We'll talk to you guys on Friday.